0: Welcome, everyone, to episode 38 of Girls on Pop. I'm your co-host, Brain Antunes, joined today by a regular co-host. I am Ashley Lynch. Miss Lynch, how's it going?
1: You know, if I sound a little bit different, it's because uh, I'm on the tail end of a sinus infection. So, um, you know, just bear with me. Maybe there'll be the occasional cough or whatnot, but it is what it is. And, you know, I would... I asked Marina if we could just, like, push it a week because I wasn't feeling that great. And, you know, she's such a task driver, is, like, cracking the whip. And she's like, no, no, you get in front of that microphone and you record because I want to talk about movies, damn it. And so it's like, what can I do?
0: (laughs) It's kind of funny that you say that because I would have dropped one on you. I actually can't (laughs) record next week. I would have totally waited. But I'm going to L.A. on Friday (laughs) <laughs> for for work. So I'm not. I'm I'm actually gone for the whole weekend. I'm not back until Sunday night. <laughs> oh wow! So it's good for the goose, apparently. Really? Uh, yeah. So I'm actually going to LA for the Annie Awards, which I'm really excited oh, f- about. Oh, fun! Yeah, yeah. So I'm really, really uh, looking forward to it. It's my first like big red carpet awards show, so very exciting. I have
1: I have been submitted for Best Editing for the Annie Awards before, but I've yet to receive a nomination. But our studio has won a won a few of them, so eventually I'll get there.
0: Yeah, I'll no, for pick. sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm super, super looking forward to it. And the reason I'm going is um, one of the Spark um, leaders, um, Mindy Johnson, who is a animation historian, she's being um, given a Lifetime Achievement Award for her contribution to uh, animation history. So... We thought we would go and celebrate her achievement because it's kind of a big deal, and Mindy is awesome, and she has. I'll, 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 I'll plug her book because she has this tome of a book called "Women in Animation," which is like this giant encyclopedia of exactly that. And it is basically like the go-to manual. If you're looking for any information on women in the industry, that is the book to start with. It has like, it's basically an encyclopedia. Everything is in one place, which is really, really great. And it's a, it, it is a really beautiful book, but this is her life's, life, life's passion. Um, and she's fabulous at it. So congratulations, Mindy. It's pretty great. Oh, that—that's amazing. Yeah, but it should be, be fun. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. It's been a saga, but that's you know something totally unrelated to movies. <laughs> um, but. Uh, it's been a while, but there have been some, um, movie things happening that we should talk about. And it kind of like this, I feel bad because we should have recorded this last week and it would have been maybe more timely because I think it was kind of before Netflix rolled out the whole, you know, multiple location bullshits thing that they're doing, but let's talk about it anyways.
1: So that's a salve, if anything, but yeah, let's let's get into the story.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, uh, break it down for us.
1: Okay, so Netflix has been sort of, you know, uh, threatening this for a while. And then they finally pulled the trigger on, in a bunch of countries, including Canada, uh, cracking down on password sharing. And basically, if you are not in your designated location um, that the, the core user has set as being the prime location, then you need to connect via Wi-Fi every 30 days um any device that you want to watch on that account otherwise it will essentially be locked out and you can pay netflix extra money to add like basically an extra like external location subscriber so basically people who are using it in multiple locations or are um, or just have multiple family members that are using the same account in different locations they have basically decided no Screw you! We we we've looked at our bottom line and we need more money, so we're we're cutting everyone off.
0: I have mixed feelings about this whole thing. So on the one hand, I'm like, I have an excuse to cut off people that have <laughs> been reaching off my account for a while uh, without <laughs> you know changing the password and then going, um, it's telling me I need a new password. And there is really only one person who will remain nameless who I actually dropped cool. off of the account a while back. And I think he just hasn't noticed because he hasn't logged in. And when I say a while, I mean like six months. So he's clearly either paying or found another way. But um, the only thing that kind of irked me about this is I am, um, I, so I work mostly from home and I watch most of my stuff at home, but I do occasionally work from an office <laughs> Where I usually have Netflix playing in the background as I'm doing tedious data entry. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I'm not going to be able to do that anymore. I'm going to have to like either watch this stuff on my iPad or on my phone, which isn't ideal. (laughs) But that kind of sucks. And that was really the extent of my uh, my thought about the story. Like, I understand why people are upset. But on the other hand, you're also stealing, essentially. So... And it's not really that big of a deal if you have to connect, like, a device every 30 days. I mean, if it's your brother or your sister or whatever, eh, it's not that big of a deal, but it's not great if you're watching something on a TV somewhere else. It's
1: an annoying inconvenience, and the one thing that Netflix has going for it is that Netflix is convenient. It comes preloaded on every device. It's easy to just log into and, like, you know, watch stuff. It's like, oh, I'm traveling and visiting my parents, I can open up my Netflix on their T V and watch stuff. This is you know, it's it's very simple and easy to access. And that's part of why Netflix is in the very advantageous position that it mm-hmm. is in. Is because it's so convenient. And the less convenient they make their service, the more they're gonna drop off. And I don't think Netflix has kind of figured that out yet, that not only is this a little bit of a PR disaster for them, and they are going to lose a lot of people because of it, but also the more difficult they make it to use their service, the more of a pain in the ass it feels like it is to use their service, the less people are going to use it. And let's be honest, the the content that Netflix provides is it's, it's Mo- for the most part not top tier it's very I liken it to being this is laundry folding material this is I'm cooking dinner and have something on in the background material it is not essential gotta watch it television and I'll be honest Um, I, I'll, I'm I'll. a password share in the sense that I have Um, I have someone who basically we have essentially like doubled up on accounts so i am using their netflix account they're using my shutter account you know it's like and we've sort of like between the two of us we've gotten here are the streaming services we want i pay for half of them they pay for the other half and we share between them because if you get all the streaming services also sudden you're paying more for that than you're paying for cable mm-hmm. it gets a little bit ridiculous especially considering how much you actually watch it and in terms of how much I actually watch Netflix, it's not very much. It's like, what was the last thing on Netflix I saw that's like, oh my God, I have to have Netflix to see that. Well, I think I can think of it The Glass Onion, and I saw that in the theaters. Yeah, and I... You know, before that, what? It's like, it, I don't watch their true crime docudrama shows. I don't watch whatever, like, C-tier thriller they come out with every week. You know, it's just... They they don't have anything that I need, and then I find often there's months I go before even opening up the app.
0: Yeah, and I'm I'm the same. I I do that with Shutter. Like I have a Shutter subscription, and I will continue to pay for it because I do appreciate the service and I like having the opportunity to watch films that you can't really find anywhere else. But the the streaming service I use the most is definitely Netflix. Mm-hmm. Because Every Shutter has
1: that sense of like a unique content. Oh, for like, sure. Okay. Yeah. Here's the shutter stuff, whether it's yeah. like watching Joe Bob live or, or, you know, whatever the shutter exclusives are. It's like, okay, yes, this is like, I understand why this is on shutter. Whereas like Netflix is just like,
0: yeah, low tier stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's the lowest common denominator for sure. For sure. Every once in a while something comes through that's a little bit better, but generally speaking. And you know what, that's what I expect from Netflix. I'm honestly yeah. now, I just, it just occurred to me that I need to figure out how this is going to work with my (laughs) with my Google TV thingamajiggy uh, Mm because the best thing I ever bought for travel was one of those Google devices that plugs into the HDMI because you can plug it into any hotel room television and all of a sudden there are all your streaming services Mm -hmm. I just thought I'm like is this going to work now with Netflix I don't even know
1: yeah see (laughs) again we're coming back to convenience it's it uh, totally
0: is it totally is
1: And I think the amount of money that they're going to make versus the amount that they're just going to lose is, uh, you know, I I don't think they thought this one through very carefully. But I think it's also just kind of the state of where the streaming services are going to be, where we're going to start to see a lot more of this. We're going to start to see them producing fewer, less content, and we're also going to see them trying to crack down on the subscribers they do have and raise prices.
0: I I agree. It's only a matter of time. Uh, I think Amazon is in a slight slightly advantageous uh, um, location because uh, most people that have Amazon Prime Video is probably because they have Amazon Prime. They're not only mm-hmm. subscribing to Prime Video, and that's almost like guaranteed that it's your home because that's where you get all your shit shipped to. You. <laughs>
1: Well they're also they're also kind of subsidized by multiple other industries that have exactly. sort of backed it. Exactly. You know, so it's um even if if Amazon Prime or Prime Video just operate at a complete loss it still might actually be worth it for the company and its long-term goals. I mean, it's the same thing with Apple TV, where if Apple TV does not make money, it doesn't matter, because Apple TV basically exists as something to help sell you more devices. Pretty much. Essentially.
0: Yeah. I mean, for a long time, you could only get Apple TV Plus on an Apple device. Like, we Mm -hmm. had to watch it. We had to turn on our Apple TV in order to watch it, it because there wasn't an app available on anything. And now the apps are available. I mean, we pretty much use our Xbox for everything that streams. Uh, but, yeah, for a long time, it's like every time we needed to watch Apple TV, got to turn on the Apple TV. The chances that we're going to watch something on Apple TV Plus, very slim. Because I fucking yep. hate the Apple TV device. It sucks oh, balls. Oh, sure.
1: And they don't have a lot of content. But I will say that, like, they do have some shows that are got to watch oh, yeah. shows. Oh, yeah. They have Ted Lasso. They have Severance. You know, yep. they they have stuff like that. And... Netflix has very few of those that's why they're clinging on so hard to Stranger Things still
0: yeah this is it like they have a very low number of sort of like marquee uh must watch tv whereas Apple doesn't have as much material but their material like you look at their list of like originals they're all like top tier like really great (coughs) really really great television so I don't know we're beating a dead horse at this point, though. I mean, they've yeah. done this. I'm, I'm curious to see, you know, once they start to see some numbers trickle in. I think you're right. I think in the long term it's going to cost them. Um, but it's only a matter of time before they find some other way to deal with the password sharing.
1: Yeah. And I now that they've committed to it, I don't think they're going to walk it back. Or at least they're not going to walk it back in a way that, you know, feels fulfilling to the people who are put off by this. Exactly. But, you know, since this affects me, it's like, am I going to start paying for my own Netflix? Probably not.
0: Yeah. Especially if you don't watch it that often. I don't
1: feel like I'm going to lose that much. Like, that was the whole reason I I moved to the situation with my friend in the first place, was I found I was going, like, six, eight months without ever even opening up the Netflix app. And it's like, why am I paying at that time what i think it was like 12 bucks a month why am i paying 12 bucks a month for the service i'm not using yeah exactly i could uh, for the amount that i watch it i could literally buy it for two months and then cancel it and see the stuff i want to see yeah. it, because that's that's just the state of where that service is and the content that they have
0: yeah no exactly um also on uh, premiums and surcharges let's talk a little bit Mm. about amc's uh brilliant move
1: yeah i want to i want to kind of double up on these stories because it feels like a very similar thing where it's two two industries basically looking for another way to to squeeze their already existing customer base uh, for a little bit more money, and I think is kind of short-sighted. And this is, AMC has basically announced that they've uh, they've changed, or they've just, they've already rolled this out. They've changed the um, the pricing at their theaters for selective seat pricing. So there's this whole series of seats that are in, like, the, the quote-unquote good spot in the theater that they're charging $2 more for. And if you sit in the... Uh, break-your-neck front row of the theater, you can get, like, $2 off because no one wants to sit there. And then a whole bunch of seats there in, like, the side of the theater that are just normal price. And so, if you want to go to a theater and, like, sit in a nice seat, all of a sudden now, apparently, you have to pay more at AMC. And this just seems... I mean, obviously short-sighted, but it seems like it's just a slap in the face of the people who are actually going to your theater. Instead of trying to incentivize more people to come out to the theater, it's giving people who might be on the fence another reason to not come to the theater. And I don't think it's going to help AMC in the long run.
0: I I mean I don't understand it. I think this is the most ridiculous thing ever. And then I started thinking about it, because um, I've been sitting with the story for a week, and I thought, you know, Landmark has almost done the same thing, um, because in some of the theaters that they've upgraded, they've they have like the pods that they've where they've updated the seats that they have like the oh. more enclosed, and you're kind of like in your own little pod of two people. Well, those seats are a premium. And they are literally the best seats in the house because they're the ones in the mm. middle of the theater. So, they and they're an extra, I think, 2 or $3 a, a ticket if you want to buy one of those. But at least they're giving me, I feel like I'm getting something, like, upgraded when Is I pay that the extra.
1: Because there's, there's something... There's something- added to those yes. seats that, you, yes. you know, you could make the argument justifies the cost. You know, yes. it's like if you're going to get like a D-Box ticket, you understand why you're paying more because exactly. like, the seat's going to vibrate and blow crap in your face and whatever. Like yeah. You know, you're you're getting like a very different kind of like CD- sitting experience yeah. other than just like, oh, I'm at a slightly different angle to the screen. This is it. I'm able to see the screen. Popular is the bare minimum bar that the theater should be meeting. Yeah, and to say that if I'm going to sit in this place where the theater where the screen looks good, I have to pay more for that, then you're not meeting that bar. You're, I agree. You're holding that bar behind a behind a paywall.
0: For me, it doesn't really like I. It pisses me off because. I'm probably never going to pay for that premium. And on the other hand, I'm like, but you know what? I don't really care because I hate people anyways. And if I have a choice, I will sit in those front three seats. Just to avoid everyone else. Because at least there, I can't see your phone when you take it out to check the time. Because this is the I mean, thing that I ha- pisses me off the most.
1: I have my ideal spot when I go to the theater. And it's usually like about, I don't know, six rows back and in the middle. You know, So wherever I can hit that point where it's like the screen just fills up my my field of vision and it's like okay this is the prime viewing location where i'm going to be like completely immersed yep. in this in this experience i'm not a sit in the front row person i'm not a sit in the side person i'm not a sit in the back row person i it's like i want to have that like immersion you know place and the, and you know amc identified as the yeah, the area where they want to charge you more money. <laughs> and it's easy for us to complain. We don't have AMC's here in Canada, so this isn't really happening here. But this does affect people in the U.S.
0: Well, I mean, it's only a matter of time before Cineplex or you know some other chain thinks that this is a good idea and rolls out yeah. something very similar. So, I mean, I think in the long run, it may. I I hope it doesn't work because then that should discourage other chains. But it's it just feels kind of slimy. Uh, yeah. And it's the
1: sort of thing where if they just said, hey, all of our tickets are $2 more now, people would probably feel a lot less bitter over just the price uniformly going up than saying, hey, if you want to not sit in a shitty spot, you need to pay us more money.
0: I think you're. That's totally what it right. feels
1: like—a slap in the face.
0: You're totally right. You're totally yeah. right. They should have just raised the price across the board an extra dollar, and that should make up for for any you know shortcomings or whatever. Yeah. But I,
1: this and is I mean, stupid. Cinéplex rolled out like a a booking thing fee like that recently, where yeah, they added a one dollar booking fee to buying a ticket. Like, why their fee to just like buy my ticket? That's ridiculous. Um, but if you are part of, like, the the Cineplex Club, the membership where you basically get, like, one free movie a month and then, like, discounts off concession and other tickets and whatnot, um, which I'm not, I'm not promoting it here, but I do have that subscription, that booking fee is waived. So that's how they're trying to sell it. It's, like, $1 extra for everyone, but if you're subscribed to this thing, you don't have to pay that $1. Plus you get all this other stuff. It's still, like... I think I'm economically holding them over a barrel with what I get for that membership so it uh, it more than works out it's hard for me to complain about a fee that I don't have to pay <laughs> but that's that's what they did and honestly not a peep no one really cared or noticed it was whatever and yeah, I think pretty we'll much. probably be more successful than what AMC is doing
0: agreed I mean I think that there was a little bit of a I have to pay a booking fee what is this ticketmaster and then you know the next time you go to the movie it's like okay so it's an extra mm. dollar
1: but that's what AMC is doing here. They're looking at like at seating for uh, music events and it's like if you if you've ever bought a ticket, you know, through Ticketmaster for a seating event, it's like you depending what seat you pick, the price fluctuates wildly. And you're just scanning around, it's like, oh, this seat's two hundred and two dollars and the one next to it is two hundred and eight for some reason. You know, and they're there's trying to do that they're trying to like pick out okay you're gonna pay extra for these seats because you're gonna get a better view of it except the difference is it's not a once-in-a-lifetime live event that you're never gonna be able to see again it's you know fucking ant-man and the wasp
0: well and i mean i think it's only a matter of time before something blows up with ticketmaster anyways on live nation because that's gone yeah. like the the, the post pandemic concert calendar landscape is just turned into a fucking shit show and <laughs> something needs to get done. But that's a conversation for another day. But I yeah. I am angry about Ticketmaster. I've always been angry about Ticketmaster and Live Nation. Now I'm like livid about the whole thing.
1: Just I mean pissed. that's been going on for, for like thirty years oh, at yeah. this it's, point. But it it's actually gaining traction again.
0: Oh, because it's gone completely out of hand, like completely mm-hmm. out of hand. You look at any of the tours that have just been announced over the last like month and it's like, it's all a shit show. Every new, every new announcement, it's like, okay, so how much your ticket's going to be to be in the building? Like $500? Like, is this, are you willing to pay that much? Fuck no. Sorry. But that's okay. I'm, I'm already angry and I'm just thinking about it. So <laughs> we won't talk about it. But I, I, I did want to talk about just something. Kind of in passing that um, I tried the other day for the first time I've been like, every time you bring it up, I think, okay, I'm gonna try that. And I finally did. So um, Dan said to me the other day, you got to check out this animation in VR. So I'm like, Mm -hmm. okay, I'll put on the VR glasses. Sure. So... Um, I played around in there, watched a couple of short films. I thought, okay, well, this is kind of cool. But I mean, they're so short. They're like not even films. They're basically mm-hmm. like a scene. I'm like, well, what else is on here? Because I've never been on there. I'm like playing around and I, Dan has this app for, I guess, watching movies. Okay, well, let's watch some trailers. And all of a sudden I'm in a room with like four other people and we're watching trailers together. And I look over and there's like some other avatars sitting there and I like wave. Mm-hmm. Not realizing I'm waving at a live person, then we like high five, and I'm like, "Okay, this is weird." And then while know. in there, I saw you know trailers for a bunch of movies in 3D, and I'm like, "Holy shit!" I may actually need to pay money to watch <laughs> Mission Impossible: Fallout in 3D because it looks kind of spectacular. I, I yeah. w- they didn't have a trailer for that, but they had a trailer for Titanic, and I watched the trailer, and I'm like, "Holy shit, this actually looks great." And then of course, I spent an hour trying to figure out how to like move my seat, how to dance. Like you can change the settings mm-hmm. so you can sit in a theater. He was like in a living room and I'm like, the TV is pretty small. I, can I'm, I'm assuming
1: it? this was the app big screen.
0: It's not big. Oh, my, it might be big screen. Yeah. Cause you can yeah, change like the, the location. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Like yeah.
1: a bunch of different theaters and you can yes. like, drive in and stuff yeah, like that's that. That's the yeah.
0: one. That's the one. And I tell you, I, uh, I'm gonna I said like can I not like buy a gift card or something and he's like well I think you might be able to Uh, I might have to give them my credit card and buy some movies because I think I might have to rent Mission Impossible Fallout so I was super 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 impressed like once I figured out where to sit in the little theater Mm -hmm. setting that I picked where I could like sit back and the entire screen is like right there I was like okay this actually looks pretty awesome And I I spent like an hour and a half in there just like butsing around. Like I didn't watch anything other than a bunch of trailers, but man, it was so cool. I'm, I'm glad that you
1: got a chance to try and, and to dig it. I feel like I've been like singing the praises of this technology in 3d for a long time now. And most people have no idea what I'm talking about, but 3D inside of VR just it works exquisitely better than any other environment and that's because you're already in a stereoscopic environment for, for VR to work it's creating the world for you stereoscopically so to display a 3D movie inside of VR you're going to get the best version of that 3D film that you're ever going to see And films end up looking great. And one of the things I love particularly about the the big screen app, which is basically just like the theater where you watch this stuff, because it does simulate you're sitting in a theater. And you can do little props, like I'm holding a drink and popcorn and stuff like that if you want. But it's... One of the immersive things that I absolutely love is you get that effect where the movie that's on the screen will actually... Illuminate the darkened theater around you. So when you have a bright scene, you'll see more of the theater than when there's a dark scene. That sort of effect that you get when you're in a real theater, and it's amazing how much that just that little detail creates the effect of immersion that you're sitting in a physical theater watching a movie. It is it's kind of incredible, and it I totally love it. is.
0: It totally is. Yeah. I'm sold.
1: Totally, and sold. It, it and it makes me sad that we just we don't get 3D Blu-rays anymore. There was like this five year period where because they were pushing 3D televisions as a new technology, we got 3D Blu-rays. And when that market fell out, and they decided to move on to pushing HDR on everyone as the uh, as the the new technology, and you can't even buy a 3D TV now if you want to. We don't get three d blu-rays anymore. They just don't exist. And so the only movies that I can watch in this environment with this great three d is this small little window of five years of stuff that got released. You know, I got stuff from like Captain America Winter Soldier to Alita Battle Angel, and there's my cutoff yeah and and that kind of sucks,
0: yeah i i there's a couple I'm gonna have to watch actually, the ghost in the Shell trailer looked fucking amazing. Mm-hmm. Like that movie is kind of mediocre for me, but I don't know, I might need to rent it for some bucks.
1: <laughs> my I think my my two favorite experiences so far cuz I've taken all of my 3D Blu-rays and I've ripped them all and put them into VR so I can watch them on my headset. Um the two that I think I had the best experience with was Dread um oh, yeah. and I think that's particularly because it was shot in 3D. Uh, it wasn't post-converted um of course avatar looks great and um also uh gravity mm. looks freaking incredible so i'm really hoping that when avatar wave water comes out on home video that we'll get some type of 3d release because without the 3d it's like why you know it's like i i've, I've I feel like I need that and I will watch that movie again happily in my VR headset if I can see it in 3D but I gotta get I'm hoping that like just like the enormous success of that and the commitment of Cameron behind 3D because the only reason we have 3D in the first place is that James Cameron made it happen with the first avatar and so I'm hoping that the second avatar is really gonna kind of usher in some new era of 3D in the home and VR seems like the place to try to do it
0: I hope so, too. Uh, that would be really awesome. I'd, I'd be into that. But yeah, so I, I'll have to experiment a little bit more. Now I'm going to have to go dig up my copy of Dread because I'm pretty <sighs> sure I have the version that's got the 3D on it. That's going to have to happen. <laughs> okay, but let's talk some movies and let's start with some new stuff. And why don't we start with Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania because that literally like just opened on Friday. Yeah. And I, I'm curious to hear what you think because the reviews that I've seen have been mixed.
1: Yeah, um, I think I think at this point for Marvel movies, it's just don't look at the reviews. I swear to God, I went on Letterbox after I saw the movie and looked just like I was curious to see what other people were saying to read the reviews, and it felt like half the reviews were. You know, the last eight Marvel movies have been really bad, but this one's a new low. If the next six movies aren't a marked improvement, I'm going to think seriously about getting off this train. It's like, why do you go see these movies if you hate them so much? That was my big takeaway for most of the reviews. It's like, they don't just hate this movie, they hate all the other movies they've seen, but like, why are you going to see it? I don't understand. It's called
0: anyway, Paul Rudd. It's Paul Rudd.
1: I know. Um, I I swear the MCU is just like masochism for some people at this point. <laughs> um but people know kind of know my stance. I'm still firmly on board the Marvel Train. I'm really enjoying, you know, the this entire series of films. I am not bored or sick of them yet. You know, it's like so I'm I'm still there opening weekend for every single one of these movies. I watch all the shows. I'm fully in. Um, and then Ant-Man and the Wasp. This is the third in the in the Ant-Man series. And I guess the start of the, uh, the whole King Dynasty arc that they are doing. Um, that is going to, I think, conclude with the next Avengers movie. Um, this one is, I think, is probably my least favorite of the Ant-Man films. I really liked Ant-Man 1 and 2. I thought they were incredibly enjoyable, way more than I thought they would be. It hits that perfect kind of intersection of um, action adventure plus goofy fun and big laughs that um, that I like, and some other people are just like, "Why is Marvel always so jokey?" It's like, no, it's like I Guardians of the Galaxy and Ant Man are like my sweet spot. When you can hit, like, that mixture of of fun that those movies have, that's that's when these films are at their best. Um, and at Ma- the third one, Quantum Mania, it's not a bad movie. It's enjoyable. I liked it. There's, you know, a lot of good stuff in here. Um, but it's got a lot less of the balance of fun and humor to action, adventure, and big stakes. This movie is all stakes with a little bit of fun as opposed to having a nice, even balance. Um, That said, I did still really enjoy it. It's uh, entertaining. I really dig Cassie, um, which is uh, Paul Rudd's daughter in the movie. This is like the first time she's really sort of been included in any real way as someone who has like is getting into the thick of stuff and it's agency and she's got her own suit and she's doing action. She's basically, she's learning how to be a superhero in this movie, essentially. Um, it seems very clear that Marvel's working towards putting their cast together for a young Avengers movie. And it's like, I'm, I'm here for that. Um, and there's, it's really entertaining. Jonathan majors. I think it's really good as, as King. Um, I think he plays the character really well. I think the movie, though, doesn't do a great job at making clear why King is such a threat. We see that he is threatening, but like, I didn't understand really what his power set was in the movie. I don't feel like the movie made that clear. I had to ask a bunch of different people who are familiar with the comics afterwards what it was. Um, I think the movie makes clear at the very end why he's such a threat in the sense that like he has access to the entirety of the multiverse and just travels it freely. And so he's essentially got an infinite army of himself. So that's that's why he is such kind of like an ongoing threat in the Marvel Universe and why it's gonna be like a big Avengers level threat. Um, but yeah. No, oh, it was it was good. It was like a good C C C level movie, C plus. You know, if you if you go in not expecting to be blown away, but still looking for a fun time, you're gonna find that.
0: Awesome. I I I thought it looked fun. I. I feel bad because I think I saw Ant-Man 2, but I don't actually remember. And at this point, the first, I think the first two movies are just kind of like a jar-rolled mess in my head. I don't know where one starts and the other one ends. So I think I, I would like to revisit them because I really do like Paul Rudd and Equit like that cast. So I, I'll get around to watching it for sure. Just probably not theatrically at this point. It's just coming. I highly
1: to recommend the second movie. I think yeah. it's, it's, um, woefully underrated. Mm. I think it's actually one of the better... MCU movies. Like I say, I love the if you don't love the tone that that movie hits, then I understand why it's not your favorite, but I think that movie is like damn near perfect for the tone it hits. It is so fun. It's so energetic. It is so chaotic. It's everything I want out of these movies.
0: Yeah, and those are the ones that I tend to like. I either like them really dark and brooding or really kind of like fun and stupid. (laughs) I don't know. There's kind of very little in between for me. It's just funny. Yeah. <laughs> um, and,
1: and Paul Rudd's never not entertaining.
0: Well, this is it. Paul Rudd is always great. Yeah. And he's easy on the eyes, so, you know, I can't complain. Um, and he doesn't age. No, he doesn't. He's aging backwards, like somebody else, but we'll get to that later, <laughs> maybe. Um I went to see um, Magic Mike's Last Dance on the Friday before Valentine's because that's what mm-hmm. you do uh, with a girlfriend. Because that's what you do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, what you what, what wasn't expected was that it was would be at the recommendation of Dan, who had no interest in <laughs> seeing Channing Tatum dance. <laughs> who can blame him? Uh, so we we went on a Valentine's Day night. Uh, night and it was a lot of fun i have to tell you so it's not as good as magic mike it doesn't have the kind of chaotic craziness of the second movie it's kind of like in between i don't know i i don't i there's things of it i really like and things of it just like makes that are just like your typical like stupid romantic movie trope um like it opens really well uh it's it, it 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 notes that the pandemic has happened so i'm gonna spoil magic mike the second one i can't okay. i can't remember what it was called but in the second one at the magic end of
1: Mike xxl it,
0: okay so at the end of it tanning tatum like meets his finalizes his dream he opens his furniture business right because this is what he's doing on the Ooh. side in the first magic mike movie so he opens his business at The beginning of the new film, it's post-pandemic, and he's lost the business because of the pandemic. So, I mean, it it starts off really well. Like, you have this guy who is, you know, he owes a bunch of people money. He feels really bad about it. He's trying to get back on his feet. He meets um, Salma Hayek, who is this wealthy not quite divorcee, but almost divorcee. They have, like, a wild tryst of a night, and then she basically pays him to take him to England for a month to set up a cabaret show. And then, you know, machinations happen from there. And, I don't know, like, some of it is really great, and some of it is just kind of, like, really stupid. (laughs) Like, that opening dance sequence with Himal Salma Hayek is really fantastic on the one hand, and on the other one hand, it's like, Really? Like, this would never happen. (laughs) Ever. At least the other movies have some semblance of reality. This one has none of that. Other than that opening scene of him reminiscing about how he's lost his furniture business. And then all of a sudden, it's like you're in Dreamland. Which is okay, I guess. Um, But, you know, it's a Steven Soderbergh movie, so it looks amazing. Um, Channing Tatum is great. Salma Hayek is maybe hotter than Channing Tatum, which is undescribable. I don't even know where to start there. She's just fucking hot. And um, the final dance sequence is like amazing. He's like, I need a plumber and a ballerina. And you're like, okay, these things are weird. And then you see the dance and you're like, okay, I understand. It's pretty (laughs) great. And then there's this odd moment like with 20 minutes left in the movie and you're like uh did that actually just happen and i'm like oh yes i forgot i'm watching a steven soderbergh movie yes that must have happened it's just weird it's all over the place i really like i had fun with it but it's not as good as the first two movies and it's definitely not as first as as good as the first movie which is like a bona fide classic at this point i'm waiting for my criterion edition of magic mike
1: (laughs) i find this series so interesting um Especially, like, I kind of love how elevated into the culture it's kind of become. Because the first movie was this tiny little character study movie that got dropped and was made for, like, very little money. And it wasn't really paid attention to that much either. which was just, like, this interesting novelty. And then, lo and behold, they... Make a sequel, Magic Bike XXL, and it's like everyone lost their minds over the, or a specific demographic lost their minds over the movie. And it really felt like almost like a Chippendales moment where it's like all of these straight women were flocking to a whole, you know, bunch of hot dancing stripper guys, except it was in a film instead of on a stage. And I know that's how I first saw Magic Mike XXL was at a party with a bunch of straight women. And it's a fun movie. I like the movie. I actually like it a lot. I think it's really entertaining. But also, I'm not into guys, so it like, you know, only offered so much for me. Or at least it offered a lot more to the other people in the room than it did to me. Um but I've I've definitely come to have like a serious amount of affection for for the films and for the series, and particularly for the second one, just because there's a level of pageantry in the movie that is, like, really entertaining. Um, it's more of a music video than it is a story. Yeah. And and I like that about it. And the other thing that I find interesting is in the past, you know, few years, is like, the people who I find seem to love Magic Mike XXL even more now are a bunch of straight dudes, Who've just kind of accepted it's like this is just great cinema. You know? It's like I I watch that movie with groups of guys now and they're really into it. And it's like it's kind of awesome where Magic Mike just kind of fits now. We're all we're all just like awesome and cool with, you know, stripper guys. So it's like, hey, so I'm looking, I, I, this is a very long winded way to say I have not seen Magic Mike Blast Dance yet. I will get around to it eventually. It'll probably be a streaming movie for me. I don't think I'm going to get it to the theater to see it, but I am looking forward to it because I love Steven Soderbergh. And I do have a lot of affection for Magic Mike, and I am looking forward to this one.
0: I, the thing that re- that this reminded me of as we were leaving the theater is this felt more like a direct sequel to Step Up than a Magic Mike movie because there is really? like pretty much no stripping in this movie. Like even the final like twenty five minutes are basically mm-hmm. like the big showcase after the, you've done seen all like the training and the dancing or whatever else. Yes. There are some moments that are like, okay, this is a little bit steamy, but there is you never see a thong in the entire movie.
1: Like oh, not wild. once. So like Especially when Especially compared to the last movie, that almost feels like a bit of a tease.
0: It totally does. So it, it's really funny because I thought about that afterwards. I'm like there was actually less of the the sexy bits that you might expect mm. from a Magic Mike movie in this movie, it really does feel like a step-up sequel. Like if I had mm-hmm. to compare it to something, it would be step up. Because it's like really great dance sequences, a tiny little like, you know, tease of sex, mm. and Salma Hayek looking really fucking hot. Like I cannot believe yeah. I can't begin to tell you how amazing you know, that
1: woman looks. That that woman started her film career. <sighs> At looking like a fucking bombshell and as she's gotten older she's only gotten more attractive
0: i fully agree like i saw i watched totally tangent i watched shotgun wedding because somebody i know had worked on it <laughs> totally random the movie sucks it's not worth watching it's not worth your Ooh. time but there is a scene of jennifer lopez on a bed in literally white underwear and i'm and Josh Duhamel, who plays her fiance, is making some sort of lanterns or something on the floor, and she's like, "Honey," and he looks over and he goes back to his lanterns. And I'm like, Jesus, I would fuck her. I'm not. I'm not lesbian, and I would fuck her. Like, <laughs> she, how do you turn away from that? She looks spectacular. I'm like, give me all of the women in their fifties, looking amazing. You know, Jennifer Lopez
1: feels like such a such a, a difficult. Person to try to pair romantic interest with because there's not a single guy that's in her league.
0: <laughs> none, none whatsoever. Selma Hayek is yeah. exactly the same. Like you see her in that movie, and you're like, I mean, Channing Tatum is hot, but you are like, you yeah. are the sizzle here.
1: Like Josh wall is a, an attractive band, but like next to next to Jennifer Lopez, you're just like, oh man, you, 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 you. <laughs> you certainly like you're dating above your league.
0: Actually, it's funny because her ex in that movie is um, Lenny Kravitz. (laughs) Hilarious. (laughs) I'm like, because I remember the year, I mean, and Lenny Kravitz still looks amazing. So I'm like, Mm. he's probably more of a fit, but it was just, it's, it's a bit of a mess, but okay. But yes, I would say magic Mike. It's good. It's not great, but it's still worth seeing. (laughs)
1: Looking forward to it.
0: Um, okay, let's talk a little bit about Infinity Pool
1: Yeah So this is Brandon Cronenberg's new movie um, This is so very fresh Because I just finished it this morning um, I started it last night And finished it this morning It's um, I don't know how to describe this Uh twisted horror story With, uh, with uh, Alexander Skarsgård Basically at a luxury resort in some foreign country. He's a sort of, like, struggling but wealthy writer. And there's an incident where uh, he accidentally runs over and kills someone with his car. And as per the local law, when the cops pick him up for this, um, they basically just decided, okay, well, you're going to be executed for this, as per our law. You know, the the child of the man who you ran over gets to to kill you. That's just how it is. However, because we have uh, very good, you know, relations, uh, travel relations with the U.S., and we don't want to cause an international scene, uh, we do have this technology where we can basically clone you and then your clone can be executed in your place. And your clone's going to have, like, all of your memories, even of you committing the crime. Otherwise, it doesn't make sense. And you have to watch the execution. And it's like, okay, that's kind of fucked up. But, like, you know, it, the other option is even worse. So he basically, like, steps into this, you know machine that clones them and he watches himself get murdered and is given the ashes of his clone to take home and they say, here, a souvenir of your little trip. And so, it's so fucking weird and so nonchalant um, that it's, uh, it's, it's really kind of out there. But What happens is Skarsgård ends up hooking up with this group of tourists that are visiting this country that have ended up in similar circumstances. They all refer to themselves as zombies, um, where they have all basically been through this process where they paid to have their clones executed to get out of a crime that they committed. Now they're kind of hooked. It's it's a kink for them now. So they start going out and committing brutal crimes so that they can pay money to the government and have their clones murdered in front of them and it just leads to more kind of depraved and you know further ridiculous acts um, of I guess this sense of immortal being like they're invulnerable like they can do anything and get out of it because they have money It's a very interesting film. Um, I I did really dig it. I dig what it's saying, and I dig what it's doing. I think the only real kind of drawback for me was, I feel like the film of Infinity Pool prepared me for something that was way more extreme than Infinity Pool was willing to give me. By the time I watched it, I already had this version in my head that was going to be way more intense than what I saw. And the film kind of, you know, comes to a close as soon as it's getting up to that ramp-up point where I thought, okay, now we're going to get into some really fucking weird shit. And then it just didn't give me, like, it it didn't go as extreme as I was expecting. And for a lot of people, it's already going to be too extreme. It's already going to be really hardcore. Um... You know, for for someone like me who doesn't mind when films go that far, and every once in a while wants a film that goes that far, I was hoping Infinity Pool was going to be that film. Um, but unfortunately, it only went up to a certain point. Yeah, that said, it's still a really great film. I enjoyed it. I think it's a very interesting and unique ride.
0: I agree. I, uh, I actually noticed the other day that it's now available on streaming, and I, I may have to – I want to re-watch it uh, once I have a little bit more time because we Ooh. did a deep dive into this on uh, – the last episode of after the credits, we talked about this thing for almost an hour, so I feel like I've beaten it to death at this point. <laughs> but I, I, I have come around on it. Uh, Melissa made an interesting point because we, we really like took a, an analytical stick to this thing and beat the shit out of it. But she had mentioned that you know she had read this as um, the film itself as a kind of like a, an observation on the struggles of creation. Um, and I thought that that was really interesting and that's been kind of sitting with me for a while, which is why I'd want to oh. rewatch it. Cause I think that that's a really interesting read that I hadn't considered. I kind of looked at it as, you know, and it, it, this really does make sense and doesn't, it's just the timing was, I think, unfortunate because everybody was kind of comparing it to these other movies that have come out over the past year about, you know, basically rich people, um, abusing their their power so things like the menu and triangle of sadness Ooh. that really kind of dig deep into that and that's that was my own initial reading of it as well because it feels like it plays in that playground too but uh, I'm coming to around on this whole uh, creationist idea uh, and the artistic uh, struggles so I, I want to rewatch watch it with that in mind mm-hmm. um, and I'm curious to see if the cut that's Available to stream is the uncut version or the edited version? Because we all watched something different. Like Melissa and I watched the oh, really? edited version in the theater, and uh, Steve watched an unedited cut that they had sent him for a review. So I'm curious to see what we get to see.
1: Well, yeah, now now I'm really kind of wondering which version I watched.
0: And and f- I
1: assumed it was uncut. It was like as soon as it hit streaming.
0: Yeah, the the apparently the changes are very minor. Uh, we didn't see any penis, is what it comes down to, <laughs> essentially. Okay.
1: I think that I did.
0: Yeah, um, and you probably did. I think it.
1: I think it goes by pretty quick. But yeah, the version I saw was a, um, an hour fifty-seven. So I'm curious what the run times are for the different versions. Yeah.
0: But it's I don't it didn't sound like there were a whole lot of differences. But I am really really curious to rewatch it. It's not my favorite of uh, Brendan Cronenberg's movies. I did rewatch both Antiviral and um, um, Possessor possessor leading up to it. Both of which are on Netflix. Surprisingly, I thought I was I don't have Antiviral on like video, so I I thought I was going to have to go digging for it, and I found it on Netflix, which was shocking. For whatever reason, I just never assumed it would be there. And I thought, okay, well, I'm going to have to dig out my copy of Possessor. As soon as I finished Danage Viral, you might also like Possessor. And I'm like, holy fuck, okay, great. So I watched them both on Netflix, go figure. I still like Possessor better. Um,
1: yeah i think i like possessor more too yeah but this was definitely But also like this one's still really fresh for me like i say i just finished it today so i kind of want to settle and maybe after a month i'll start to go you know what i think i actually like infinity pool more i think it's a more mature film
0: yeah i mean it certainly looks like like awesome like it's beautiful Mm. the design of that movie and the cinematography is just stupendous it looks so good
1: and i think any like Really good film is gonna work through like multiple lenses. So while I gr- I agree, like it's really interesting the uh, the the sh- the struggle and the burden of creating creating art um, and inspiration. I think that's a really interesting angle to approach it through because that's very much like Alexander Skargard's sort of uh, arc is that that's the thing he's struggling with. He's a failed once-published author who's looking for inspiration and has come on this, you know, this trip. And that's what he's there to do. And he, it doesn't answer the question about whether or not he finds it, but he goes on a unique life experience that is unparalleled to anything else he's had in his life, so it's almost impossible to believe that he hasn't. And he's also unwilling to sort of, like, leave the experience, too, even when he's given ample opportunity to do so. And it seems pretty clear the reason why, and it's because he's found his inspiration. So I think that's a really interesting way to look at it. But I also think the colonial aspects of it, the fact that it's a bunch of rich white people that have come to a poor country that is reliant entirely on rich tourist money to survive, and that they end up in a situation where they feel completely justified to just completely rape and murder the people of that country without any repercussion because they can literally just paid to have another version of themselves executed and face no consequences I you know it's it's impossible to sort of avoid that yeah. lens as well because that's very much part of the film
0: oh for sure for sure I, and that was one of my complaints is there's just a little too much going on and it probably needed to focus more on one of those concepts but I still I still like it Mm-hmm. Um, just in passing very quickly, because I don't have a whole lot to say about this, but I kind of felt like I wanted to mention it in part because I've seen a lot of sort of dust up around Casey Lemons um, and the fact that there weren't any women nominated for uh, Best Directing Oscar this year. And that's I Want to Dance with Somebody, which is the biopic on Whitney Houston. Um, mm-hmm. I thought this was okay. Like, it's not really like um, one of the better biopics. It, it's very standard, run of the mill. I actually thought it was the story itself was interesting uh, because it, and I don't know how much of it is accurate because I'm not like, I don't consider myself a Whitney Houston expert, but there was a lot of stuff that was in there that was a surprise to me that I thought I knew how that story had unfolded and it's not what I had in my mind especially around uh, like drug use and her ex-husband and all of that stuff Um, but I just thought it was interesting that there was like all this dust up around especially from Casey Lemons about you know no women being nominated and really I wouldn't say that this film is worthy of an Oscar nomination on any level it's just not that great um but it's it's okay, yeah, I guess.
1: I, I'm like two-thirds of the way through the movie myself, as in progress of, of watching it. I agree with you entirely. It's fine. It almost feels like a TV movie. Very much. In a lot of ways. It's very kind of standard bear. Uh, how much you get out of it is really, I think, going to depend on how into Whitney Houston you yeah. are. And chances are, if you're that into Whitney Houston, you're going to know all the stuff that's in this in this uh, this dramatized biography of her life, anyways. So I don't I don't know who's like the performances are good, the the story's good. There's nothing about the movie that's particularly bad, but there's nothing about the movie that's particularly exemplary either. And it's also the fact that you know I'm just tired of music biopics. It's it it takes a lot to impress me with a music biopic at this point, and I'm not sure Whitney's story is all like that kind of universally. Um, I want to say interesting, but just like surprising. Yeah, you know it's like I say, it's like even even her career is like it's a story about a woman who could sing, and then had no obstacles really stopping her from singing, and then popularity and fame and it starts to impede on her life and a bad marriage and you know that sort of you know typical drama that unfolds and it's just like it's all very expected it's all very unsurprising even if you don't know whitney's story at all it's a very unsurprising story yeah exactly
0: i was actually i was
1: but there's nothing wrong with it either it's entertaining enough
0: yeah true Very true. I just, to me, it was just kind of bland. I was actually more surprised to discover that there's some pretty cutting-edge tech that they used to make the movie. That was actually more surprising than the movie itself. Really? Like (laughs) what? So all of the performances, uh, the audience NAS performances, that audience is entirely Um, CG-generated. They're all volume-captured and then rendered... It's really, really fascinating if you're interested in in that sort of technology. It's worth looking into because they oh. were even nominated for a VES award. Like, it's it's pretty cutting-edge stuff, which is – it's just kind of surprising that it's this little tidbit yeah. in this movie that's so mediocre. But, yeah, they they did some really fascinating things with volume capture and volumetrics uh, for the film and the audiences in those performances, of which there are a lot. So oh. – that's interesting. Yeah. Um, okay. I'm curious about this because I've now tried to start this movie twice, and <laughs> as you can tell, I still have not finished it. And that's Skinamarink.
1: All right. Um, I want to. I want to talk about this movie as judiciously as possible. Um, so Skinamarink is a movie that I heard a great deal about. At least there's a lot of people talking about it. Um, I had more than a few people tell me this is the scariest movie they've ever seen in their entire lives. And it was not that for me. Um, This movie is an experimental horror movie with a capital E. um, In the sense that you're not really going to get a story out of this. You're not going to get characters you never see another person in this movie. You will see hands, you'll see feet, you'll hear whispering voices every once in a while. Um, But that's it. And the, the story, if there is one, is basically there's like two young kids around like, it feels like around like, you know, six, seven years old, get up early in the morning... They're watching cartoons, eating cereal, playing with Legos, that sort of thing. Um, The dad seems to have vanished. These are all just, like, little tidbits that you pick up from whispers here and there. And then, like, doors and windows in the house seem to be disappearing. And then, like, it, shit like toys start clinging to the ceiling. And... It's a movie where nothing really happens. It's all just, like, building kind of dread. You see a lot of ceilings. You see a lot of quarters. You see a lot of walls. You see a lot of, like, extreme close-up of the television playing a cartoon. The one thing that the movie does do really well is it really captures that kind of weird sensation of feeling neither asleep nor awake. And in just kind of like this kind of like horrible, almost like dreamlike state of like not quite awake. And it sort of like lives in that area. Um, But it's a movie that will try your patience because literally nothing happens in this movie. Uh, There is no advancing of plot. It is all just tone and atmosphere and building dread that does not actually build to anything. So it's just a it's constantly just kind of sustaining this sort of tone. And, and so, like I say, it's like a capital E experimental film. And for some people that's going to be, it's apparently incredibly effective. I wish it were effective on me. Um, Unfortunately, it like the last, by the time I got to the last 20 minutes, I was just like checking the time, like, it felt like every ten minutes, but in honesty, it was every two minutes. Going, how much time is left in this movie? I just want to get to the end and find out if there's like, if, is anything, is there any going to be anything that made this experience worth it? And the answer for me was no. Um, other people are going to have a have a, a different kind of experience with that. So it's I would say, if you're interested at all. Watch the first 15 minutes. And after f- the first 15 minutes, if it is not vibing with you, if you're not into it, if you're not digging it, there's no reason to watch any further because the rest of the movie is just more of that.
0: Okay, well, I've only given it like two minutes, so I might try this again.
1: <laughs> okay.
0: Oh, man. Well, at least there's some honesty here because I, I, I've tried. I tried twice. I put it on. I'm like... I'm not really feeling this right now. And that's been the reaction both times. So when I have a little bit more energy, I will give it the full 15 minutes. And if it's still not happening, then it's not happening.
1: You know, I've likened this movie to being like creepypasta, um, which is this whole kind of subgenre that's emerged on the internet. And it's like, with creepypasta, it always seems to me, it's like, okay, here's a premise, and here's a tone, and we're just going to hold with that and that's it. Mm. And it's always like the promise of a story instead of an actual story. Mm. That's what creepypasta, like so much of what I see of it is, you know, it's like the slender man. It's like you're walking in the woods and there's a man in the woods and if he sees you, you might die. The end. <laughs> that's not a story. That's a promise of a story. You know, and that's what Skid really feels like for me um, is that like it's a promise of a story that you don't get. And for people who really like creepy pasta, I think they're really gonna dig this movie. Um, some people seem to like really vibe on just like an atmosphere tone based experience that has no story. For me, I kind of like you know being told a story that has structure with characters and dialogue and plot. I like that stuff.
0: Yeah. I generally I mean? need. Yeah. I'm with not you. not interested in that. Yeah. I generally need a little more though. Sometimes the vibe is enough, but generally speaking a little more yeah. is better. Um, I caught up with two Leslie, uh, which was this movie that I hadn't heard about until there was the whole drama with, uh, <laughs> Andrea Riceborough being nominated for an Oscar. And then the, the fallout of that nomination and the, mm. the, all the, the BS about how did she get that nomination? um, <laughs> the movie is it's fine. Like I I just don't know what to say. It's such a typical story. Her performance is excellent, but I saw better performances this year. So clearly there was something to the way that they campaigned mm-hmm. for the movie. Um so Riceboro plays a woman who is um a drug addict. Uh, she's kind of basically at the bottom of uh, of the the barrel. Um, she ends up in her old hometown and hooks up with. Uh, and I say hooks up, very like not like r- romantically, but she ends up uh, with um, crashing and working at a motel that's co-owned by Mark uh, Marin. And it's basically you follow her as she cleaners, cleans herself up. Basically, the story you've seen this before it's a really solid performance from both her and Mark Maron. Um, but the movie is, it's very like low key. Like if she hadn't been nominated for an Oscar, chances that I would have seen this would probably be pretty slim because I like her, but I'm not like a super fan and I wouldn't have gone out of my way to, to look for this. Um, it's good, but it's not particularly memorable in any way, to be totally honest, as far as I'm concerned
1: i mean maybe that's a positive thing that all the that the oscar nomination i guess all the drama is gonna get more people to watch a movie that they wouldn't have otherwise watched
0: pretty much pretty much um i just wish it was a like a way better movie (laughs) yeah for sure (laughs) um there's something wrong with the children yes is this a children of the corn remake
1: no it is not uh, and this is also not based on uh, the graphic novel series Something is Killing the Children. Oh. Um, so this is this is the other question I've received from people. No, uh, There's Something Wrong with the Children is the original film. Um, it's uh, from Blumhouse, and it's directed by Roxanne Benjamin, who I really dig. And it is a very kind of small horror story about... Um, Two couples that go and you know stay at a couple cabins do like a weekend vacation thing. And one of the couples they have, they have their uh, their two kids with them. The other couple has no kids. And um, there's, they go and they visit these nearby ruins. And there's this big hole in the ruins, so suddenly the kids are completely captivated with this hole. And then one morning, the kids basically wander off on their own and are go back to the ruins and jump into the hole. And then they just appear back at the cabins like nothing is wrong. And only, only the one guy um, who is not the father of these kids knows that this has happened. And he's like, something is wrong, and I don't think these are the same kids. And the kids start acting really strangely and menacingly, like they're plotting something against the adults. And he's trying to convince everyone else that, like, there's something wrong with these kids. These are not your kids. These kids are trying to do something, and, like, no one believes him. And it starts, like, propelling further and further until the point where it starts to get, like, incredibly violent and goes full-on horror to the point where people are getting killed um i absolutely adore this movie i thought it was great like not just not just the story that played out but i thought it was it was paced incredibly well i thought the performances were great um i thought the i thought the writing with the dialogue was really good because you have this clash of of the couple that has no kids And the couple whose You know, kids have become their entire life And sort of like the rift between their friendship That that is has sort of created And it all starts to boil out As things get more kind of dramatic and intense And it all felt very genuine And like some conversations that I've been a part of um, I, I don't know what more I can say about this movie Other than that I thought this one was an A nice, perfect little gem. And I heartily recommend people seek this one out. I thought it was a good, fun ride.
0: Okay, that's really good. Because I, I did like the trailer. It looked like it might be interesting. So I'm really great to, I'm glad to hear it's good. Because... Really, the only reason I watched Megan, which is the next movie on the list for us to chat about, is because it was recommended by, like, four other people. Everybody was like, okay, you need to watch this movie. It's actually really good. I'm like, are you sure? I wasn't really sure about that trailer. And good God, this movie was so much fun. I really did not expect it to be anywhere this good. So my expectations were, like, bottom basement. So we watched mm-hmm. it on a Friday night. My cousin came over. He's like, you know, what are we going to watch? I'm like, we're going to watch Megan tonight. So prepare yourself. And it was, and I expected this was the intention. It was ridiculously funny. Like, I thought this movie was hilarious, mm. but also kind of creepy. Like, the doll was genuinely creepy. There were genuinely creepy moments. And then there were these moments that were just fucking goofy as shit and I found myself laughing out loud and I'm like this is the intention right because this is how I feel and this is great it just yeah for me it hit all the right notes I thought it was it didn't take itself too seriously but it was fully invested in the story that it was telling and in how um, violent it was going to be about that story because there are moments that are like genuinely violent I thought it was fantastic I was so so shocked at how good this movie is
1: yeah, I absolutely loved it, too. It's, um... I'm not gonna say I, I went in with the bar set really low, but I also did not set it all that high, either. It's like, you know, it this as much as we're gonna praise this movie because it is a lot of fun... Um, It's also like, this this is not high art. There's a very low ceiling on how great Megan is going to be. It is exactly what you think it is. And if you're expecting it to be more than that, then you're going to be disappointed. It's not going to surprise you, but it is going to entertain the hell out of you. It's just a really good one of those. You know, it's, it's basically doing a version of child's play, but it is, you know, with Megan being Chucky. But instead of um, it being like a psychopath that's inhabiting a doll and murdering people, it's instead bringing into a topic that we're all talking about a lot these days, which is the prevalence of AI in... Our entertainment, essentially, or the things that we are using, the things that we're enjoying, and how much we let these devices sort of take over our lives to a certain point, just because they offer a level of convenience. And Megan feels very much like a logical extension of that. Here's this doll that can help you raise your kid. It will be your kid's friend. And it will take care of some of the the dumb parenting stuff that you don't want to ha- have take the time to take care of. That you know, it's like how many times you have to remind your kid to flush the toilet. It, it let the doll remind your kid to flush the toilet, and it will listen to the doll because the doll is its friend. You know, and it's like all it in a lot of ways it makes sense, but of course. It being the type of movie it is, you know, at a certain point the doll is going to start fucking murdering people, and that's when it starts to get really fun. Um, and by the end of the movie, it's just full, full blown Terminator. Um, like the the last scene of the movie is literally just the last scene from Terminator, and it is it is amazing. Um, I think they're going to get at least like two or three more. For sure, a second one franchise out of this. Yeah, yeah, for sure, a second and i think i think blumhouse was super smart about this because they made like megan a tiktok star before this movie even opened you know they they'd already like landed on something they knew was iconic and they were trafficking off the iconography of it before people had even seen the movie. So people were already ready to love Megan by the time they got to the movie. Yeah. Um, so it's it's kind of great in that sense. But yeah, this this movie's really fun. Um, I loved everything about it.
0: Yeah, I really enjoyed it. And you're right, the marketing was. Pretty genius, uh, as is the tech behind the doll. It's kind of nuts once you start digging into how they made that happen. There's a lot of interesting behind the scenes videos of. The, the innovation, and it really is kind of innovative in a kind well, of... Uh, also, how much how much of it
1: is just live performance? This is too.
0: it. This is it. It's a really interesting combination of uh, old and new tech, uh, which mm. I think is really interesting. So, uh, yeah, definitely worth checking out some of the behind-the-scenes stuff. But.
1: And I think that's the really interesting thing is that Megan successfully sits in this place that hits that kind of uncanny valley. It's like... She's moving in a way in which, like, okay, that's not, like, a CG animated doll that's in the scene, so I can pick that out. There's a real thing that's there. But it's also moving in a way that doesn't feel entirely human, like, just even in walking around. It's, and, and it's not so much as, like, oh, it's being robotic. It's more like, no, it's being human, but not quite human enough and it hits that perfect uncanny valley spot, yeah. which is inc- it, it's just, it's deeply unnerving no matter how you do it. But when you can hit that spot and you're hitting it on purpose because you want people to be unnerved by it, it works so well. Fully agree.
0: I don't think that the, at least from the, the ending of the movie, I don't think the second one will traverse in that area, at least... That doesn't seem like it, but who knows? They could do anything.
1: Yeah, we'll see. It could go anywhere or they could just go, let's not mess with the formula. Let's just like,
0: Oh, come on. Blumhouse is going to try to suck this shit dry. They're going to make another one for sure. Uh, Yeah, for sure. But,
1: but also you got James Wan. is behind this. He's one of the, uh, one of the co-writers on the story and produced it. And, you know, he's, uh, James Wan has formed a new business partnership with Blumhouse where their two production companies are basically joining voices and like between the two of them, they just own horror. Pretty much.
0: Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah.
1: And so I'm, I'm putting my trust in James Wan that he's going to continue to give us something interesting.
0: I agree. I'm I'm here for it. I'll watch another one. Um, Okay. What is sick? Because I don't think I've even heard of this.
1: Yeah. This is a new slasher film came out on Peacock uh, that was written by Kevin Williamson. Um, who you're going to know best is being responsible for writing the Scream movies. Mm. I know what you did last summer. Basically, yeah. in the 90s, completely reinventing horror for the next decade. Yeah. Um, it's all responsible to Kevin Williamson um, and what he did. And this movie is directed by John Hyams, who is uh, Peter Hyams' son, um, hmm. and has been doing a bunch of movies, and it's a good director in his own right. Um, you know, he's he's done some really interesting stuff. Um, there was something else he did a while ago that uh, I was surprised, like, oh, yeah, he did that. Oh, yeah, this is a movie uh, from 2020 called Alone, which not enough people have seen, which is literally just uh, a woman driving across the country, I believe, to to go to Uh, She's headed off to, like, college or something like that. And she basically just gets, like, chased by a serial killer. um, as she's driving alone. And it was a really good movie. It's a really good, like, one of those. I recommend that. Uh, But anyways, back to Sick. Um, Sick is basically just a slasher film that takes place during the pandemic. That's it. It's, like, very early days of pandemic that's your hook everyone's like just starting to mask up everyone's kind of scared and and is getting a lot of misinformation and doesn't know sort of you know what's what yet and it's not you know it's like and so you have a couple friends that basically decided to like get out of the city and go up to a cabin together and just, like, get away from everything. And then there's a guy from school that follows them up. And so the three of them are basically just hanging out in this cabin. And suddenly they start getting chased by a guy in a hoodie. Um, who is who is killing people. Who we, who we see in the cold open just, like, you know, stalks and kills this kid. And so it becomes, like, it's one of those. Kids in the forest... Got a killer chasing them, and the big question is why is the killer chasing them? And you know, what it what is the mystery that unfolds? Especially it being Kevin Williamson, there's always like a mystery that like sort of explains it all. Um, and the movie is fine; it's good, it's well it's well directed. Um, when you get into the fight scenes, they have or the the chase scenes in particular, and when the the victims are, like, fighting off the killer. There's a level of kind of visceralness to the action that John Hines brings that's uh, really interesting and good and I think works really well. Uh, The rest of the film, fairly unremarkable. It works. It's serviceable. And by the time you get to the big twist that kind of explains it, it's either going to make it worthwhile for you or is going to completely piss you off, and say that is such bullshit, and you're going to hate the movie. Um, and I don't want to spoil what it is. Depending on which uh, which response you're going to have, um, I thought it was worth a watch. It's not a great movie, but I think it's an entertaining enough movie. It's a good kind of Sunday afternoon. Let's watch a let's watch a goofy slasher movie that doesn't go too hard and actually has like a a weird message in it so
0: interesting okay
1: that that's my tepid recommendation for <laughs> <sick>. Uh
0: <coughs> let's talk a little bit about a little bit of TV and let's start with the buzzy buzzy title that's currently streaming uh, or airing um, The Last of Us
1: yeah um, The Last of Us god I find it so hard to talk about this show And the reason I find it hard to talk about this show is because I love the game. I have loved the game since it came out. I have played through the game probably about five times. Um, I am very intimately familiar with the game, and I was long looking forward to the point where we would get an adaptation. Specifically because I think The Last of Us is such a great story, and I love the story in the game so much, And there are so many people I know who would never experience that story because they don't play games and they're never going to play The Last of Us. And it's kind of like Mass Effect in that sense where it's like, here's this incredible story that I know you'll love and you'll never experience that story because it's in a medium that you just don't participate in. And, And I feel like you're worse off for it. And The Last of Us is very much like one of those stories. So I'm, I'm more kind of happy for everyone else, that everyone gets to experience The Last of Us, this thing that I've held dear and have loved for so long. Um, and the other thing is that it makes it really hard to be objective about this show, because I am so intimately familiar with the game. Um, I'm not doing the thing where I'm just sitting there going, oh, the game did that better, or they didn't do the thing that the game did. You know, I'm, it, I'm watching it with like a much more kind of like nuanced approach than that. And I think the show is, is really good at what it's doing. Um, the Weirdly, the parts that I'm liking the most are when it goes off book and is doing stuff that is not in the game because that's fresh and new to me. And mm. I'm enjoying that stuff. Uh, but I think for the most part, it's, nailing it. I think it is a really good successful adaptation. I think the two leads, um, you know, Pedro Pascal and Bella Ramsey, are absolutely killing it. Like, especially Bella Ramsey, she's like, nails Ella, Elle, or sorry, nails Ellie so perfectly. And just like, her attitude and her mannerisms, it's like, she feels like Ellie through and through. Um, Joel feels like he's changed up a bit, and I think that's solely because You experience the game from Joel's perspective, so you are in his perspective. You practically get his inner monologue as he, like, mumbles to himself throughout the game. You know, um, that the show, by virtue of being a TV show, you step outside of his perspective. You're now in an omniscient perspective, and you're viewing him differently. And so he feels a little bit colder um, than he is in the game. But like especially I think we're up to like was it season or episode seven now? Six, Six or seven, something Six, like that. Yeah. Six. And we're finally getting to that point where it feels like Joel and Ellie have built this relationship that feels like genuine and connected because at the very beginning of the show it is like it is very much not that. Joel wants nothing to do with Ellie, and Ellie barely wants anything to do with Joel. They don't really like each other very much, but they're all that each other has. And slowly, through trial by fire of this horrible world that they exist in, they forge this incredible emotional relationship together. And I feel like the show is successfully creating that and and very true to the game. I'm really digging this show.
0: Yeah, and I mean as somebody that's not familiar with the game at all other than, you know, whatever I had read over the years that it's been out, um I'm really liking this show as well. I think it's really well done. I think what I like the most about it is because I mean at this point that was really done with zombie shows and movies. I just it just feels so overdone at this point. And The Walking Dead I think is just I I don't even know it's just it feels Mm. like this thing that's just gone on forever um but this at least feels um for whatever reason like it's more about the characters and not so worried about the apocalypse like something bad has happened and zombies are out there but they're just like another part of like the collapse of the world as we knew it Um, And I think that that those parts are the most interesting that and the relationships between the characters. And I think what I like the most about it is that it, it's not um, like it's taking chances with like the amount of time that passes between the episodes. Like some of them feel like Mm -hmm. one, like it's, it's picking up immediately where, where where it left off. And then this last episode, we fasted forward like three months and You can kind of feel like the relationship between Ellie and what's his name, Joel, has like you can forget, like, as it opens, you're like, okay, it feels like they've been together for a long time. They feel even more comfortable than they did at the end of last episode. I think that's really interesting. Um, I it's really well done. I really am enjoying it a lot. Like, we look forward to it every week. It's it's great filmmaking as far as and what are the
1: one of the interesting things that I'm loving that the show is able to do is because it is a show, um, and it's not just like, you're, the game is like, you play in this one sort of perspective, and it takes place over the course of the year, and there's just like, you know, certain chapter breaks where it's like, you hit the sort of end of this chapter, and then it'll like, black screen, it'll come up, you know, fall. And it's, like, just sort of, like, truncated by the seasons. And that's how you sort of advance in time. Other than that, it's just, like, narratively, like, straight time forward. Whereas in the show, they're able to go back and deepen a lot of these stories by getting out of a singular perspective. And the biggest example of that is episode three, where you have this incredibly beautiful story of... Nick Offerman as this this libertarian guy who basically refuses to, you know, get rounded up by the government and and headed out because they've designated a quarantine area and said just like takes over the town and makes it his own little compound and then meets a man that he falls in love with and you get to see basically the entirety of their life together from the beginning of them meeting to the very end of their life, and it is... By the end of that episode, I was full-on ugly crying. It was such an incredible, beautiful episode, and unlike anything I've ever seen on TV. And in the game, that character of Bill is there in the game. You go to that town, and you meet Bill, because you need something from Bill, and you see... You find, like, it it plays out a little bit differently. You find his dead partner hanging in one of the houses. He, you know, killed himself because he got bit and didn't want to turn. And you sort of see, like, you pick up the pieces of that relationship that they had on the fringes. But Bill is a secondary character who you just, like, you're moving through. Whereas the show is able to stop and just tell you this story where... Joel and Ellie aren't even really a major part of that episode. They sort of like pop in and out in in certain places, you know, where they where they belong, but it's really that episode is all about about Bill and Frank. And that's something that you can only do in the show that doesn't work in the game. And and that is just like that's the real power of being able to adapt this this game into a show is doing stuff like that. And I think the I think the show uh, it's been adapted by Craig Mazin, who did um, did Chernobyl, and is also being uh, co-written, produced, and directed with Neil Druckmann, who is the creator of the game. Um, he's the lead at Naughty Dog, who who created the uh, wrote the game and and helped create it. And like you know, a billion other people worked on the game as well. So it's like I feel like it's unfair to credit all of it to him but he is the lead at naughty dog so he gets that that accolade and he's you know a b- very big part of adapting this and so that's part of why it's both true to form but i think craig mason has been able to very successfully pull it away from just being a straight adaptation to the game and say let's take the biggest strength of it and use the biggest strengths of the medium of tv and make the best version of the tv show of that that is not beholden to the game but is true to the game yeah and more than almost anything else i think this is one of the more successful adaptations
0: no i fully agree i I mean i think the same is probably true with some of uh, game of thrones the same is definitely true with interview the vampire on amc um, mm-hmm. it, it, it's a theme that it's it's an approach <coughs> to the filmmaking or or like the TV I guess making that um, really seems to mm. be working at the moment. So I'm I'm all here for it. Bring on and, the good and story. especially
1: just like the curse that has plagued video game adaptations specifically, how hard it is to adapt a video mm-hmm. game mm-hmm. into another movie. And it's like there's been very few good examples to look at and last of us is going to serve as like the shining beacon on the hill for what is possible for, I think years to come. Agreed. Agreed.
0: Um, very quickly and only because I really enjoyed the show and I, I don't know if it was given a fair shake, the 90s show, that 90s show on Netflix. So they did, of course, everybody remembers the original um, that 70s show it was on. I don't remember which channel, whatever channel it was on. And then they did a spin-off, which was very, very bad. The 80s show was like legitimately terrible. Like it took a concept that was less about the period and more about the characters and made it all about the period with very little interest in the characters. And it failed miserably. I think they may have gotten a season out of it, but it was like basically it happened and everybody, nobody watched it and everybody forgot about it. For good reason. So I think that there was a lot of, not bad blood, because it's not the kind of show that anybody I think feels like all that strongly about, but I think there was a lot of kind of general disinterest in that 90s show, other than the fact that um, Red and, uh, and, um, oh my god, I've forgotten her name, The Wife are back and everybody's like, Oh, this will be cute. It's like, the show's actually pretty good. Like it actually is more interested in the characters this time around than the period it takes place in, which happens to be the nineties, which is currently having like a resurgence. Um, and I thought it really worked. The 10, it's 10 episodes. There are 20 some odd minutes each. Um, it goes by very, very quickly. There's of course the uh, must have, return of some of the characters from the original episodes, which are varying in success. I think I would, I would venture to say they're all pretty terrible. Um, but it has some fun moments. I really liked it. I really liked it. I like the new characters. I like the dynamic characters. I like some of the stories that it's telling. And I grew up in the nineties. So I am partial to that as well. I have to be fully, fully transparent about that. I, I really liked I it. Have
1: a, I have a horrible confession to make. What's that? I have never watched a single episode of that 70s I don't show. think
0: it's that horrible.
1: The, not a one.
0: Yeah, I don't think you're really... Like, it's It's one of these shows that you either watched it or you didn't. I I don't think... Yeah. Like, it's not... I mean, I don't even know what to compare it to at this point. Like,
1: I know so many people have such fond memories and nostalgia for that show. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like... I just never watched it. I just didn't do it. Yeah. Oh. So that I I haven't bothered with that '90s show because, like, without those nostalgic goggles, it feels like what's the point?
0: Yeah. Honestly, it has very like I I really do think that you. I mean, you don't need to watch the the '70s show that '70s show to take any enjoyment out of it. It just oh. is what it is. It just happens to be a lot of fun. And if you grew up in the '90s, there's some nice. Uh, there, it's just fun to relive some of that. It really, really is. <laughs> okay, let's talk a little bit about. We're, we're running like super long, and we still have a couple of things to talk about. But what a shock! I know, right? Let's talk a little bit about Poker Face. So, Ryan Johnson is really having a moment at, uh, at right now. I mean, he's been having a moment yeah. for a while, but at, now he's got you know the glass onion, which just you know. Mm-hmm very fresh still on netflix and then he's like jumping ship and going over to do a tv series on another network like what the fuck
1: so i have a challenge for you because one of the things that i have discovered is that uh my co-host marina is not a big fan of the uh the the mystery um the the mystery series uh type of uh type of story and I think you will really enjoy Poker Face.
0: I think I will, too. Um,
1: <laughs> so this is a mystery series. It's very much in line with what Ryan Johnson has been doing for the last while, where it's like, instead of Ben on Blanc, we have a different character. But I think the setup and how the show plays out and the quality of the writing in the show is so good. Um, because we have Natasha Leone as the lead. And the entire premise of the show is that she essentially is naturally... um, She's a natural lie detector, essentially, is what she is. And she's been using this skill her entire life to basically cheat at gambling. And it's not really cheating, but she instinctively knows when people are... Not telling her the truth, and she will compulsively call out their bullshit. She can't stop herself from doing it, and so she would use this to basically like win at cards until she got busted and and basically blackballed, so that she couldn't gamble anywhere. And that's where we sort of meet her is working as at, at a waitress um, in Las Vegas, and she finds herself kind of um, just happenstance stuck in the middle of a murder story where a friend of hers gets killed and she's the type of person who just will cannot let anything go. She's like a dog with a bone. Once it once it sort of captures her attention, she just like it gnaws at her and she just won't stop asking questions. And that way she's very much kind of like a Columbo character. which she's like, just just one other thing, you know, like people find her fucking annoying because of it. Um And then her lie-detecting ability allows her to, like, suss out when people are lying to her. But what makes the show really unique is every episode kind of has, like, a similar structure where she's not in the first part of the show. Where we will be introduced to um, a new series of characters and a new kind of setup and story every week in a new environment, and we'll get embroiled in the sort of, like, human life drama of that story that will eventually lead to someone getting murdered. and it It's never the person who you think is going to get murdered, and it's never for the reason why you think they're going to get murdered, but eventually we get there and someone gets murdered. And that's the point at which we go back in time and find out that hey, Natasha Leone has actually been there the entire time on the sidelines. And we sort of play through the whole thing again now, but from her perspective, as she sort of catches wind of something going on, and then we follow through, as she just like sticks her nose into it and won't let go until she essentially like solves the case in every episode. And it's Natasha Leone specifically that brings this show to absolute life because she walks this perfect line of being feisty and dogged and comedic and exasperated and it feels like just a perfect vehicle to showcase why she is so awesome at what she does and it's like all built around showcasing her but it's also a really good mystery show, too. Like, top-tier mystery show. Every... I haven't seen a single episode that's bad, and there are many episodes that I would call great. I am absolutely loving the hell out of this show.
0: Okay, that's good to hear. I I, I did really like the trailer. I thought it looked like a lot of fun, and I really like her. I still have Ooh. not seen Russian Doll. I will fix that at some point it's like one of those shows that it's on my like endless to watch list and there's always something I want to watch more but I really do like her so this feels like I'm, I would still be in the milieu if I was to start watching it now because people are talking about it now so it's definitely on my high on the watch list for sure.
1: And And it's great because they're all self-contained stories every episode is like you know, its own unique story that begins and ends with that episode. That's great. You know, so it's it's very, very digestible in that sense. But there is also, like, the overarching plot where at the end of episode one, she basically has to go on the run and you have the enforcer for a mob boss played by benjamin bratt that's basically like chasing her and so every episode ends up in a new location because she's on the run and she's working under the counter jobs to sustain herself as she's on the run and every once in a while benjamin bratt pops in because he's caught up with her and she has to like flee you know so it's uh it's it it has this concurrent story that's like still going yeah and like the cast in the show is also amazing like you know you have like all sorts of like incredible names that pop in for just one episode it's it's i love it oh that's great to hear it's it's everything i want in a show
0: another show that i really love and that i will the reason i want to bring it up is because i don't think enough people have seen it Extraordinary, which is streaming on Disney Plus. This is like the superhero television (laughs) series that I didn't know I wanted. Like the boys is its own thing. This is its own thing. So the basic concept is that we're living in a universe where everybody at the age of 18 develops a superpower except not everyone develops a superpower. And some of the superpowers are really stupid, as you might expect. (laughs) When everybody starts developing superpowers. Um, and then we follow this young woman uh, played by uh, Maury Tears as Jen, who is in her early twenties and she has not developed the superpower yet. So she's kind of trying to shock her system. This is, she's decided that she's been without a superpower for long enough and she's going to try to shock her system into developing one. And then is this series of basically like ridiculous um things that happened as she is trying to figure out what her superpower is and trying to like shock it into existence and you know along the way she she meets a guy, she meets some friends, she's living with some friends and it's just it's both ridiculous and completely charming and kind of this um, really interesting look at uh, like being in your 20s and not really having Uh, a direction yet, trying to find yourself um, in this really interesting universe. I love this show. It's really smart. It's really funny. The performances are great. It it deals with some very interesting uh, concepts and ideas. It's created by a woman and stars a bunch of women. It's just so fun. I love it so much. I cannot recommend this show enough. I praise it to everyone. You need to see it. It's great. Great, great, great! I've
1: I've seen this one sort of pass on the periphery. It's and I so haven't good. Watched it yet? I think my I think my fear about when I looked at like I you know the 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 premise is clever, but I looked at it and was just like, is this just like too cute? I don't know. Is it is it too adorable?
0: It's not it's- like she is. Like there were entire like episodes where she is so unlikable. Like you just look at her and you're like, You're such a nice person. Why are you doing all of these despicable things? And it's just like some of it is very like it's just stupid it's just stupidity. Like there's an episode where she's trying to find a job. And, like, she's late for the appointment, she lies through her interview, uh, everything that goes could possibly go wrong goes wrong, and you think, like, in, in a different show she might still get that job, she doesn't get it. And then she just drinks herself into a stupor because she's upset. Like, it, it's just, like, it really plays on the fact that she is also, she's, like, this 20-something-year-old that's supposed to be, like, an adult, but she's also not, right Mm -hmm. there's a lot of different things going on it's much much smarter than it probably has any right to be and i must say the music on the soundtrack is just spectacular and every episode i'm like what's this song where's that thing on my phone that tracks what song is playing thank you spotify for the playlist it's 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 awesome (laughs) awesome awesome i love this show i think it's
1: great I will. Sh- I'll check it out.
0: then. it has a fantastic sensibility, and it's English. If I didn't mention that, so it has that going forward, too. There's that sensibility. The c- the comedy is by,
1: very. But by, by English, you mean British? British, yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. okay. Um, not not just that it's in English.
0: Not just that it's in English. Yeah, gotcha. Uh, it's fun. I highly recommend it. It's it's great, great okay. fun, and even Dan liked it. It's very female centric, but. The boys did enjoy it. Dan really, really enjoyed it too. So, let's finish with the blacklist. Yes,
1: uh, I just wanted to mention this one really briefly because this is um, this is an older show or a show that's been going on for like quite a while. It's just about to start up with season ten. That's how long the show has been going. This is the the spy thriller show with with James Spader. Um, as the reason I just wanted to mention it briefly is because I watched, like, the first season way back when, and then I just fell off, and I enjoyed it, but it's like, whatever, it's a network show, and, you know, I moved on to other things. And for whatever reason, I decided to go back and, like, check out this show, mostly because I was like, wait, it's still on? James Vader is still freaking doing this thing? Okay. And so I went back, and I started rewatching, and I'm up to, like, uh, I'm, like... Midway through season three at this point And I forgot how genuinely good This show is, at least in the first few Seasons, I have no idea if the show hits a point where it just like shits The bed like every show does at some point So I have no idea If it's just like the show In its current state is just like Oh god, why is this still continuing But these first Few seasons like Some of the most Thrilling like spy action I've ever seen and I include that feel with like the born films uh, particularly like the first part of season three there's like this whole arc where essentially our our main character has essentially been been framed by this this international cabal that's like you know, embedded itself in most government agencies, and has like you know framed her as a terrorist, and so she's on the run. So her own team is hunting her. Um, the police are all on lookout for her. The cabal is trying to murder her, and she's just trying to stay alive long enough to to try to like clear her name while in the behind the scenes James Spader's pulling every string he can to try to turn this around and basically like bring the cabal down and it is genuinely outrageously thrilling it's like absolutely incredible it's like I had no idea that the show was like at it's peak this good so I don't know like I say it's like maybe once I get into like season 5 be like oh this I, I we've jumped the shark now and we just won't die, but uh, I don't know. I'm gonna stick with it and uh, you know for as long as I can. And I'm just really digging it.
0: That's awesome. I mean, you know, I, I have to say, at, at some point, some of the the cable TV shows that have been on forever. I mean, I, I know for a lot of people, that's kind of like their comfort television, so they they like to watch it weekly or daily or whatever the case might be because it's something that they're familiar with and it's comfortable and I mean it's kind of it's the only reason why we can why Dan and I continue to watch Law and Order I mean the new oh. Law and Order is just like the old Law and Order it's just familiar we know the beats but every episode is you know it's good <coughs> as in, in its own right and it has its own thing to say but you know at some points some of these shows have to be actually good mm-hmm. right I mean, some of them are not, but some of them I I, I doubt, like, when when there's so many of them, there have to be some that are actually good, so maybe the Blacklist is that one Well, in any
1: show that's been on for a certain amount of, a certain length of time, especially if it's like a network show there is, even if all of it isn't good, there is this peak period where it is excellent Yes, and even if you just carve out that chunk and watch that chunk, it's worth it Yeah
0: no, that's great. I, I, I'll be curious once you get further into it, closer to, you know, like you say, season five, is it still yeah. living up to the expectations? I,
1: I just find it so wild because like when I think of James Spader, I think of like you know sex lies and videotape. I think right. of uh, bad influence. You know, I that that's that's what I think of. It's like very much kind of like eighties and early nineties James Spader. Yeah, it's like still firmly embedded in my mind. And the version of James Spader that is in uh, the blacklist, where it's like he's balding, he's a little pudgy. But he's like so charming and will go off on these like kind of sadistic monologues. And he just the character that he plays is just so fun. And it's such a let's be real, trashy show that it's so un James Spader to me. And it's like this whole different James Spader. And every time I watch sit down and watch the show, I'm just like, I still can't believe this is James Spader now. But he's, like, clearly, like, this is my thing now because he's been doing it for a decade. (laughs) You know? Get used to it. This is me. I mean, it's, I mean, at the same time, you'd be a fool to turn it down because, like, he's also producer on the show. And so it's, like, he's getting a lot of money out of this, like. Ten season show that's well gone into syndication. It's like, it's 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 a very good income if you can if you can get it. For sure, for sure.
0: Oh, that was that's great. Um, well, we talked through a very what looked like to be a very short list. Yeah. Two hours later, here we are. I know exactly.
1: Um, we don't we don't go on for three hours about Infinity Pool, but we go on for three hours about a bunch of stuff.
0: Pretty much. Oh God, that episode. All right. Um, we'll be back in a couple of weeks with. Well, is there anything else before we go? Or, or talk uh, I don't think
1: so. Yeah, I, I'm yeah, feeling yeah, pretty I think, good about this list. That,
0: we'll link. I'll link to all of the stuff that we talked about. And also the sort of tangent things that we kind of mentioned during the episode, and we'll be back in a couple of weeks with more discussion. I, I, we're gonna plan something in the background because I'm gonna ask a favor of Miss Ashley. Uh, but we'll be back in a couple of weeks with gasp, oh, gasp. We're gonna be back in a couple of weeks with more movie talk. And until then, oh wait, where can people find you?
1: Oh uh where can people find me? Um apparently I'm a drug addict and I've relapsed and I've gone back to Twitter I' started tweeting again someone killed me um, so best place you can find me is on Twitter at Ashley Lynch
0: <laughs> and and I've been doing none of the social medias very well the most the the best place to find me is on Instagram at the marina too. <laughs> two not one uh well you can find me at the marina one as well but i it's, was there already a marina one no the marina one is also me but it's my like personal blog so okay, there's not a lot you. of movie this content. is like
1: your second this is like your second car
0: yeah this is like my second car it's the movie content so if you only want movie content this is the place to be if you want the personal gotcha. content you get the first one and uh, i've You're been trying smart. to do a better job of uh interacting with people on um Um, letterboxed so I've been making more Mm. of an effort to spend more time there so we'll link to that in the show notes as well and now that's it so until next time (laughs) insert catchphrase here Opening and closing credits are Happy Alley by composer Kevin McLeod. For more information, visit incompetech.com.